Psalm 104 is where we are going to be today. Psalm 104, if you'd like to find that in your Bibles. It's a longer psalm. I was thinking this week that it's been almost two months since we gathered on a Sunday in anticipation of Thanksgiving Day. Do you remember that? It's already been that fast, almost two months. I was thinking this morning also that in almost two months it will be getting warmer and uh, hopefully spring crocuses will be starting to push up through the ground. I'm thankful that the seasons come and go. By the way, that just made me think of something. It'll fit in here later on anyway. But uh, I was hearing yesterday on the radio, and I used to teach science, so I should know this, but for some reason it escaped my mind, that we are the only known planet in the universe that has seasons, four seasons. And, uh, and God speaks of the seasons in the Bible, that, they, that he is going to ensure that they come and go as they are supposed to. And so we are in the season of uh, punishment and judgment right now. And uh, soon we will be coming back to the, to the season of blessing and glory. But uh, yeah, I hope you thought that was funny. Please laugh at any joke I tell. But it's been a few months. And uh, when we last got together in the book of Psalms, we were in Psalm 95. And uh, I thought it was appropriate for Thanksgiving. And the writer in Psalm 95 called us to come and sing to the Lord. He said, let us joyfully shout to the rock of our salvation. Of course, we're Baptists, so we've got to tone that down a little bit and not get too wound up about it, you know, because Baptists don't shout, except when they're in uh, official meetings. That's when we yell at each other. But let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. And when we went through Psalm 95, I wanted you to see that the writer presents to us our Creator God and encourages us in consideration of all who God is and all that God has done to have lips that praise Him from the overflow of worship-filled hearts. And I hope that the last two months have been at least some times where your lips spoke of God. Uh, A friend of mine had a t-shirt on that I saw online uh, a couple days ago that said, enjoy God and tell others. And I thought that was just a great t-shirt. He's a pastor in Tennessee and enjoy God and tell others. And that actually uh, is a message that is from Psalm 95, really, and somewhat from Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is a sister psalm to Psalm 95 as it also celebrates God's creation. But it's a little bit different in that it draws our attention in another direction than what Psalm 95 did. Psalm 95 was all about thanksgiving uh, and, and praising God. Psalm 104 has a little different emphasis And uh, I want us to look at that this morning. So let's read Psalm 104 together as we consider God's amazing person and his powerful works and a specific result of those works as the psalmist tells us that result that is in him and in us together. So I'll read Psalm 104 aloud and I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I do. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on his foundation so that it could never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not cover, again cover the earth. 
You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, and the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships in Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open up your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let us consider the steadfast love of the Lord. As I was preparing for today and just meditating on God's creative work, and I had time to do that in particular while I was um, lying down when I wasn't sleeping, but as I was thinking about this passage and just meditating on it, I had a strange experience, and that was that there were these past experiences of traveling through the world that began to come across my mind. It was almost like watching a PBS nature show. It was, it was very odd. I just had these, they were flashbacks, I guess, but they were very positive flashbacks. And, and God has been really kind and gracious to me to allow me to travel uh, and, and experience a lot of amazing things. I've been to uh, 45 of the 50 states. I've been on four continents, almost on a fifth continent. Um, I've been in multiple countries, and I've, I've just seen and experienced stuff that uh, other people um, have not had the opportunity to do. But as I was laying there and thinking about the creation, um, in my mind I could see a sunrise on the, on the snow-capped Rockies. And I used to see that almost every morning uh, when I lived in Denver. And, and there's what's called Alpenglow, where the, the sunrise reaches a point and it hits those snow-capped mountains and just turns them pink. It's just a beautiful thing to behold. And I, I've thought about it from time to time and never gotten over it. Every time I would see it, I just thought it was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And then suddenly my mind went to a place where I was walking through flowers, reds and yellows and purples, and they were the, they were the spring flowers in a high mountain meadow. I had memories of sitting on Caribbean beaches in Barbados and St. Vincent as I watched the sun setting over the ocean. I had a memory of 
uh, St. Vincent where we had a there was a, where the school was there we had a protective cove and a coral reef down in our coral formations down inside that cove there were never large waves in there and as the tide would go out there was this one little place that I referred to as the bathtub where there was a coral formation that was shaped like a bathtub and I would sit in that and the water was warm and the water was clear and there were little blue crabs scurrying about on other little coral formations above the water and, and it was like a fish tank looking down into it with all these saltwater fish just swimming around me in that, in that water. I actually have some pictures of it that I took of those fish. As I continued to just think about the places I've been to, I, my mind went back to the north woods of Wisconsin walking through those dense forests where we lived for 16 years. And just a beautiful place, often spooking up deer, or I remember sitting in the trees and watching uh, forest quail walk underneath of my, uh, where I was sitting in the tree. I'd seen foxes walk right beneath me. I almost stepped on a skunk in the dark one time. Thankfully, he decided to run away. Uh, he scared me a lot, along with quail that would bust up in the night as you walked out there. Listening to owls, seeing bobcat come down to the water to drink. As I was laying there, I could almost smell, I was trying to smell <laughs> that forest smell in the fall when the leaves are beginning to decay and the water of the rains is hitting the dirt and there's this pungent, almost cinnamon-like smell that comes up from the forest floor. I have memories of the fall and leaves in Vermont and Massachusetts and, and how those reds and oranges and yellows and blending together were like splattered paint across the roads. I have memories of flowers and fruits and animals in the jungles of Malaysia and the mountains of Fiji. I've tasted fresh bananas right off of a tree, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't taste anything like a banana you get in the store. I've, I've, been, I've been in the Caribbean area, drank passion fruit, fruit juice right out of the fruit, freshly picked, and there's nothing like passion fruit juice. For a moment, I was back in Holland, traveling on a train down the countryside where the spring bulbs were all in bloom and they farm those bulbs that you plant here. And they're all up in bloom in the spring. I've watched flocks of cockatoos fly and listened to the call of the kookaburra down under in Australia. And those memories are just the tip of the iceberg of what God has allowed me to see and taste and smell and feel and enjoy. As I said earlier, he's been kind to me. He's been kind to me through his creation to show me these things and let me experience these things and to remember them. So was writing this, I thought, you know, there might be memories that have what will cross your minds as I speak of those memories, places you've been to, things you've experienced. Wonderful memories from a trip, a place, an event. And I want you to just for a moment kind of hold that memory in your hand, kind of like Harry Potter, you know, and how he could stick his head under the water. Not that I have watched Harry Potter. No, no. But just in case he did, and you could stick his head under the water, and he'd be back in that memory. Or they'd have that little thing there, and could kind of look at it. So just for a moment, hold on to that memory. Savor it a little bit. In a bit, we'll come back to that memory. So don't Pocket it away, hang on to it. Here in Psalm 104, the writer draws our attention to one of the greatest themes of the Bible, God's creation. I've been in awe of God's creation for a very long time. I enjoy being outdoors. The Bible speaks again and again and again of God's creation. And he does this here in Psalm 104 in a way that largely follows the narrative of Genesis 1. 
In the beginning, God created the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. A lot of people have tried to work together or work out how this exactly fits with Genesis 1. And it doesn't perfectly follow that story. But there's a lot of similarities. I think there are various reasons why it's good for us to reflect on the creation. To reflect, to to join in with God's word and think about what God has made. And I want to say this right now. I don't care what your personal belief is regarding how all this came to be. I'm not going to fight with you about it. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I have a degree in science. I used to teach a class on, on how it all came to be on the college level. What I'm going to say to you this morning is I'm not going to argue with you about how it all came to be except that it was not by random chance over millions and millions of years. I will let you hold on to millions and millions of years, but we have to agree that God made it. It was not random chance. This week before last, I finished a book called Song of the Cell, and I would highly recommend it to you if you like science. Uh, if you don't like science, if you hate science, you won't read it. If, you don't, if, if you're maybe a little bit interested, you won't finish it. But if you like science and the wonders of the creation, The Song of the Cell is an amazing book. It's written by a man who uh, is, is a research professor in cellular biology. He's got another book. He's got several books out there that are really good. But this one is The History of Cellular Biology and the Modern Application of What We Know. It's fascinating. But over and over again, he talks about how this just happened. He's telling you this incredible thing about the cell in your body and how it just happened. Constantly says, and it just happened. And I'm going to push back on that and say, if God's word is true, then it didn't just happen. God made it. And because God made it, there are certain things that we need to be aware of as we read the, the, the stories and, what, and the Psalms and other places telling us about God's creation. We need to be remembering that because he made it, it's, it belongs to him. All that we see is God's possession and ultimately not ours. We talk about our houses and our children and our, uh, our gardens and our whatever. And ultimately, we have to come back to, if we really believe what Scripture says, we are simply stewards of what God has made and what God has continued to uh, support and take care of. The creation story also reminds us of his authority and that he has the right to do with it as he wills. He has the right to take away your garden. He has the right to take away your life. He has the right to take away your health. And in all of what he takes away, he remains good. And we are to understand it belongs to him. It's his possession and that he has authority of it and therefore he has the right to do with it as he wills. The creation is to submit to his will, not the other way around. And it's a good time for me to interject that we are part of that creation. When the Bible speaks of the creation, we are part of that. He is our maker. We are not our own. As we consider God's work, we are further reminded of its original goodness. That when God created everything, at the end of each creative moment, he said, it's good. That's really good. Last night, Terry and I watched uh, The Last Dance, which if you're into basketball at all, you need to watch it. It is the story of Michael Jordan's comeback 
after he had left basketball, and they came back and he won three straight championships. It's a fascinating story. I knew some of it, some of it I didn't know. I am old enough to have watched Michael Jordan and uh, some of the other players that were with him. But when we watch Michael Jordan, or we watch some people, LeBron James today, or this uh, lady who's the new modern skier that's going to overtake Lindsey Vaughn's uh, records, when we watch them do what they do, we look at that and say, they're good. When we produce something at work and we've done it right and we lay it out and we say, that's good, did a good job. When God was done with his creation, he said, it is very good. This is great. I love what I've done. And he created it in original goodness that we can't even fully comprehend. And we need to remember that part, and we need to remember that it was Adam, not God. It was Adam who introduced sin and left the creation marred and disfigured. We need to be reminded that what God does is good. And that the current state of the creation with its pain and sorrows is not the result of God's work. It is the fruit of human sin. And this fact that that God owns the creation, that he has authority over the creation, and that it was created in original goodness, but turned into rubble by Adam, these facts are the reason why the creation narrative appears so often in the Bible, and it appears as part of the big picture of the Bible story, what we call the meta-narrative, the eggheads call the meta-narrative. The Bible's big picture, and this big picture is composed of four smaller stories. The creation, the fall, God's redemption, and God's final work of recreation or new creation. A wonderful way to read your Bible in this coming year is to read it with those four big pictures in mind. The whole flow of Scripture follows through and repeats over and over again, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. It's an awesome way to come to see what God is doing in this world and to see the Bible holistically. But this this story of creation that keeps coming through over and over again, God is telling us that even though the sin of humanity has damaged his creation, we can find hope in the promised Redeemer who will bring about a new creation where sin is eradicated and God dwells at peace with his creation. Psalm 104 tells us how this planet called Earth was founded and formed. We learn that he formed the waters and created boundaries for it so that there would be dry land with mountains and valleys. He created the animals with all of their diversity and yet similarity. We also learn, though, that God is not just a cosmic clockmaker who is uninvolved with his creation. He didn't just say, let there be. He didn't just create and step back and watch it. He didn't just wind it up and let it go. Unlike many of the early founding fathers of the United States of America who believed in deism, the Bible proclaims that God made it and that he is involved in it every moment that it exists. The Bible speaks to us Psalm 104 speaks to us about how God cares for his creation. And he gets detailed as the psalmist thinks, as he has PBS memories going through his head. He thinks of how God provides water, drink for the wild donkey. How God has given tree branches so that the birds have a place to rest and the storks have a place to nest. All that is needed for the flourishing of the wild goat and the rock badger and the lion is provided by their creator. 
The psalmist goes on to speak of the bird song in verse 12 and the refuge of the badger in verse 18 and the overall satisfaction of the creation in verse 13. And through those things, we gain insight to God's intimate, ongoing relationship with his creation. There is not a sparrow that can fall that he does not know about it. In verses 14 and 15, though, this focus begins to shift from the general creation to the ones to whom God gave dominion over his creation, human beings. In a way very unlike us. In a way very unlike us. God gives good things to those ones who spoiled what he originally called good. You just think about what you would have done to Adam and Eve. If you've ever thought that God is unfair to you, consider how many times in your life you've thought to yourself, boy, did I mess that one up. And when we step back and point a finger at Adam and Eve and say, you screwed everything up for everybody, which I have done many times. Just think of how many things you've messed up on a day-to-day basis contributing to to the first work of Adam and Eve. And how that sin has continued down through the generations to where we today are still creating messes. And yet God not only showed goodness to these two that messed it all up, but he continues to show any glimpse, any glimpse of goodness to us today is far more than we deserve. These good things that he gives to us are plants to cultivate, in order to feed ourselves and our livestock. He gives us wine. Oh no. The W word came up in this passage. He gives us wine. He gives us wine not just for its taste or appearance, but it says to gladden our hearts. He's talking about the effect that a chemical has in your body and on your brain to gladden your hearts in the midst of all the pain and sorrow that we have brought upon ourselves. That is a wild idea to me. Sadly, we have figured out how to even abuse that good thing that he's given to us. Meditating on this psalm, I think it's hard for us not to be reminded of who God is as we really start to think about what he's done and what he's given to his creation. It's hard not to be reminded of who God is. I was reading Jonathan Edwards and his comments on this passage. Edwards has made the point along with others that God's chief design in creation is to make himself known, to manifest his glory. And by the way, some of you might not even know who Edwards is, so just in case, Edwards was a pastor during the colonial period here in America, in the British colony of Massachusetts. He was probably the most well-known pastor in that area. He preached uh, the sermon that some of you may have heard of, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That led to the first great awakening in the colonies, what others refer to as revival. He was also known as the greatest philosopher of the colonial period. And he proves that every time, every time he wrote. And he's someone that you kind of have to write slowly, read slowly and think through uh, strongly. But Edwards 
point in this passage is that God's chief design in creation is to make himself known, that God would manifest who he is through his creation. And that means that this creation that God made is designed every moment that it exists to show forth his might and his wisdom and his goodness along with all of his other qualities. As our lives unfold on a day-to-day basis, as creatures of dust on this ball of dust, our hearts should swell with the sentiments of verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your glories. But I would argue, and so does Jonathan Edwards, that this psalm reveals to us something more regarding God's person that we don't often consider, and it's found in verse 31. The psalmist says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Oh, I'm sorry, I read verse 31. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. When the psalmist tells us this, he's telling us another part of God's fullness, which he communicates is his happiness. God's happiness. As God looks out over his creation, as he reflects on what he has made and what he intimately cares for, he celebrates what he has made. Some of you have read the book Desiring God. I joke about it. I've, I've talked to so many people who today are, would be now in their early 40s, late 30s. As a, as a teacher in college, uh, there was a book that just burst upon the scene and an author that was just spreading like wildfire through the college campuses across the United States and across the world. It was a book called Desiring God. How many of you have read that? Just out of curiosity today. And I, that's good. I've had a number of people say to me, I read Desiring God, and, and my response is, it totally messed up your life. And they just kind of chuckle. Because in some ways it does. You read that, and you're just left with, wow, have I been thinking kind of wrong? And this is really what I've been, and now I want to pursue this. And then you find out what comes with that pursuit. But prior for me, so as it was going across the campuses, and, and I, I thought I should, as a good faculty person, read it and find out what all the students were reading. There was this moment in reading it where inside of me there was this massive pushback because Piper was arguing that God laughs, that God is happy. And I never considered that. I sat there reading that book, and as I can think of different times when I was reading that book, and thinking, no, nah, this isn't true. God only laughs at the wicked. It says that in Psalm 2. And Piper kept making the argument and making the argument, and I was just like, yeah, but he's not happy. This, this, oh, this is a mess. And then pretty soon, you just reach this point where, you know, it's like trying to hold the water back in the dike, keeping those beliefs back there when it all just broke and flooded across me. And, and I thought, he is happy. He's eternally happy. And my problem was that God had always been this guy sitting on a throne with a really sour face and a really big thumb just waiting for me to mess up so he could and then go deal with that. That was my God. And suddenly there was this God 
who laughed over me and was excited when I did the right thing and it pleased him and it made him, made him happy and I just didn't even know what to do with that. And it really messed up my theology in a lot of ways and got me in trouble when I started talking about it. Still gets me in trouble today. God was now my father. And just like when one of my kids does the right thing and, and it's just, I, I sat with my, my daughter from Canada. We haven't been able to really talk for quite a while and I'm hearing what God's doing in her life and the things she's struggling with and, uh, and, and my other daughter's there, uh, uh, Alyssa, our second daughter's there and, and I see her life on a day-to-day basis and see what she's per- pursuing and my heart just swells with them. And that, that was God with me and I never understood that. But this God could actually be happy and that I could actually do things that made him happy. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here is that when God looks out over his works, he rejoices in his works. Edward says that God's happiness, Edward says in this passage that, that there is this part of God's fullness that is communicated in his creation, and that is that God is happy. And this this happiness consists in enjoying and rejoicing in himself. When he sees one of his children, as John says, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. When God sees one of his children walking in the truth, he experiences a level of happiness that I have never experienced because he's actually the one that's produced that in me. And he celebrates that goodness that comes from him. And the Psalm 104 tells us that his creation reflects and reveals his person and that God is happy and merry and glad. And if I were to stop there this morning, you might be good, glad because I'm done. But if I were to stop there this morning, that's a truth that we can take with us and move forward in life in our relationship with God. But there's something more in Psalm 104 that I think is very important for us to hear because there's another happiness in the creation that God intends for us as well as himself. A happiness in and through the creation that God intends for us as well as himself. Look at verses 33 to 34. After the psalmist has reflected on all this and written it out for us, the psalmist says, I will sing to the Lord. As long as I live, I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. That means to make him happy. For I rejoice in the Lord. I will sing praise. I rejoice in the Lord. Now, there's a, there's a question here that I have for you that hopefully is a softball question. But when the writer in verse 33 says, um, or verse 34, may my meditation be pleasing to him, what is he meditating upon? This should be a real easy one and not a trick one. May my meditation be, you're the writer, you're in the moment, you're writing this out, what are you meditating on? The creation. He's not talking about, you know, some people will read this, and I have in the past, may my meditation be pleasing to him. That, they think of this as some special time of the day that they set aside to meditate, that, that you know, God uh, or, or, or whoever, me, God, it's pleasing to God, I'm rejoicing, and it's my quiet time, it's my devotional time, 
It's, it's that time. But this writer is not referring to a separate time. He's referring to the present moment as he writes. May my meditation, what, I'm, what I am writing right here, what I am thinking about, what's driving my thoughts, may my meditation be pleasing to him. I rejoice in the Lord. The, the language there is what I'm thinking about right now. I'm hoping is bringing pleasure to God, happiness to God, and I know what it's doing to me. It's producing rejoicing in me. It's kind of phrased as a prayer, but it, just keep it in the present. If I understand what he's saying correctly, it's this. When I tune my heart to think not just about the experience or wonder of his creation, but also what it reveals about him, then it makes both of us happy. It's pleasing to him, and I will rejoice in him. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? There's a both and. I want to come back to that idea in just a second here. But I also just a moment ago quoted Edwards, and I want to continue his quote so that you hear what he has to say about God's happiness in his creation and our happiness in his creation. This happiness, according to Edwards, consists in enjoying and rejoicing in himself. And then he says this, so the happiness of God consists in enjoying and rejoicing in himself. And then Edwards says, and so does the creature's happiness. It is a participation. It is a participation of what is in God and God and his glory are the objective ground of it. The happiness of the creature consists in rejoicing in God by which God also is magnified and exalted. Joy or the exalting of the heart in God's glory is one thing that belongs to praise. Let me illustrate this. A little while ago, I asked you if you had a memory, or I mentioned you might have had a memory come to your mind. One that just came back to my mind is standing in front of the straight face of Long's Peak in Colorado, where you're standing somewhere around 12,500 to 13,000 feet above sea level. And there's this massive stone face that goes up that climbers climb. Up to that point, there's a path you can walk. And a group of my friends and I had taken that hike up the mountain that day. Uh, and, and we were standing there and looking down in one direction was this massive boulder field just sprawling out in front of the face. And in the other direction here to your left was this, or I guess it was the other way around, boulders were this way and the, to, our, to our right here was a snow field. Not a glacier really, just a snow field that, that went down the side of that mountain for uh, probably two or three football fields just down the side of that mountain. And of course as teenage boys, what do you do? You body sled that. And it was a pretty good drop. And at the bottom of that, that, that slope was this tiny little pond from where we were that was blue, just as blue as could be, and frozen solid. And so like brain-dead teenagers who are indestructible and wearing nylon jackets and nylon snow pants, we just jumped on that thing and body slid it all the way down there. And it was so much fun. And the ranger had told us about an hour before that that there was a storm coming in in about an hour and we needed to be headed down off the mountain and not up there anymore because they weren't going to come look for us once the storm started. Yes, sir, thank you. Go down again. And we just kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. I, I remember I broke off a piece of that ice and it was turquoise. 
It wasn't just reflecting the sky, it was actually turquoise. There's, there's, there's mountain ice that's that color, and you can't even fully describe it, it's so beautiful. Carried that down in the whiteout as we walked through the snow lost on the side of Long's Peak for a couple of hours before we finally, by God's grace, found our way out, and, and God had a reason for me to live that day. But it was just really stupid what we did. But that memory came back to my mind, just flashed through again. So what's your memory? What's your memory from God's creation? That moment that you experienced. I want you to take it out again and savor it again. Now I want to ask you this question. What about that moment made you and continues to make you to this day feel happy or good. As you reflect on that, the beauty or just the overwhelming sense of where you were or what you were looking at, whatever it was, what is the thing in that that makes you feel happy or good? And then I want you to ask this question, how is God revealed to me in what made me feel happy or good? What about God did he reveal about himself that led to you feeling happy or good in that moment? And I'm not suggesting that you are the center of the question. Rather, what I am trying to communicate is that there is something in every moment experienced in the creation and it's sometimes in bigger moments and more astounding revelations, so to speak. Something in God, something about God and His creation that is good or pure or beautiful that needs to be noticed by you and offered in praise to God. And I would suggest to you this morning that this way of thinking, of of when you experience God's creation and there's that moment in you of, this is so beautiful, to not just say, God made this, that's a great starting point, I'm not criticizing that, but to not say, that just God made this, but to ask yourself the question, to begin to think in ways of what about God is revealed to me in the beauty of this? What about, what of his person and his character do I learn? Because that is the purpose of what you experience in the creation, is to proclaim the glories of God. I would suggest that this not only ensures that we worship the Creator rather than the creation, but also it will result in gladness for both the Creator and the creature. In this moment of participation with the Creator, where the creature says, God is amazing and He has intricately organized and created complex detail in the layers of the, of the colors in the skies tonight. And I can see that God is someone who is steady and organized and is a beautiful painter. He's an artist beyond compare. I think it's important for us to do this because sometimes as we live in the rubble of Eden, we fail to see all that is good and beautiful around us. And sometimes in our longing for the new creation, and this is something that is a problem for me, sometimes in my longing for the new creation, I fail to recognize that this is my Father's world after all. It's His place. And he's still in it. And he still has a purpose for me in it. And he still wants me to see him and rejoice in him in the midst of 
the present. We still have reason to celebrate his person and his power and his unchanging plan. And so I would encourage you this year, as you embark upon the continuation of a journey that's already begun, but for some reason in our culture feels fresh and new, to begin to think of what God has done around you and in you that is good. And that is his work that he has revealed to you and rejoice in it and rejoice with him. Let's pray. Father, I again just praise you and thank you for your kindness to me. There have been so many things that you have brought into my life that have been so hard. And it's easy for me with my personality to focus in on those things and begin to define you by those things. And I'm guessing that, Father, I'm not the only one here this morning that does that. Father, help me to become more and more aware of what you are doing, what you have created, how you are revealing yourself to me. And I ask that for these people too, that you would do that work in them as well by the Holy Spirit's power. That you would cause us to see you in your creation. If all the heavens declare the glory of God, Father, we should be seeing you everywhere. So I pray that you would open our eyes to who you are, what you are doing, through your creation as well as through your word, and help us anchored in your word, be able to rejoice and celebrate who you are in the good gifts you give to us. In your son's name, amen.